Good morning. So we want to share with you a little bit about Hope for Uganda. I'm Dave Wolf, as most of you know. My wife, Amber, who doesn't like to speak, so isn't up here. I <coughs> um, want to share with you a little bit about how things began and got started. As soon as that comes up on screen. Um, in 2017, a gentleman by the name of Isubiri found seven children abandoned, living by themselves in a, in a little mud hut, and he took it upon himself, he himself only being 17 years old, uh, to begin caring for these children and visiting this village frequently. And he quickly found that as they grew to eight and then to 11, that he had to find some home for them, and he began the Moonlight Orphanage, found a building that he could live in or keep the kids rent-free, um, and began Moonlight Orphanage. God always has a plan. In 2018, on one of the mission trips Amber was on, she uh, met a gentleman named Isubiri, and he happened to be stopping by the village they were uh, doing the medical camp and began helping. Uh, by the next visit, the medical team went uh, about a, a little less than a year later and visited the orphanage, and that was when the concept of Hope for Uganda came to be. Amber wanted to support the uh, the orphanage, as, as well as a few other ministries there. And so she uh, started applying for a uh, nonprofit here in the U.S. to support called Hope for Uganda. Eventually came to be officially in 2020, though. Originally, she was able to help with mattresses um, through generous donations here. We were able to help with some uh, actual bed frames and things that we were able to support them with, and Bibles uh, and some gifts and things from time to time as well. In 2021, just last December, kids got noticed that they were being evicted. The home that they were in, uh, the gentleman that owned it passed away, and his family wanted to use it for a different purpose. So at that point, um, we actually, the nonprofit formed together along with the orphanage and was renamed to Hope for Uganda Children's Home. And again, through generous donations, much from here in the church, uh, we were able to purchase land and build a home to keep the kids safe and uh, in a home they wouldn't have fear of being evicted in. So on a, a couple of trips here, uh, you can see some of the neighbors that we met. Um, the property was vegetation covered and, and mostly farmed. But construction began in January. A couple of slides here of that construction. And uh, they build a little differently in Uganda. But they uh, relatively quick. It was a couple of weeks to have the, the completion, and not without a few bumps along the way and changes that they had to do. Um, we were also able to provide a well, which they had not had. The, the nearest well was a few miles away. And we were able to provide a solar-powered pump well, uh, which pumps a large tank, and they have actual running water. Amber's there helping, as you can see, the, the big help there with the white hat. And the first time with running water. And as you can see, then it became very popular. So the kids were able to move in in uh, early, I think it was early February, um, into the home and get everything moved in. Clicking a little too fast there. 
um, providing meals, had a, a little meal space in between the, the boys and girls dorm area. And their juice is a treat from time to time. So also after two years of the school shutdowns in Uganda, they were able to return to school. And uh, due to the distance, we were able to enroll them into a boarding school for each session is a, a couple of months. And then they're back to the home for a month and back to the school. So back to school was certainly a, uh, an honor. It's not a right to go back to school. And uh, one of the things that we are trying to support is all of their school schoolwork and school care uh, needs as well. Now, definitely, there are uh, issues that pop up, and we discovered thieves came to try to cut the wiring and steal the solar panels and the batteries for the well. Um, our, our house mother was able to hear the noise and, and go out, and she started screaming and certainly deterred them, and they were unable to, but they had done quite a bit of damage. Uh, fortunately, repairs were made quickly, but it became evident that we needed to put up a fence. <laughs> Uh, again, uh, the Lord provides, and, and through generous donations, we're able to put up a fence all the way around, as, long, as well as a guard shack. And uh, we were able to hire Samson, our officially licensed security guard in Uganda. Uh, and it wasn't long before he was needed. Um, we put up a fence, so they tried to steal the fence posts for scrap. And he was able to run them off. The posts were left behind, and we were able to repair the fence much quicker and easier with the material still being there. So we want you to meet the kids. There's a short video of them running the around. Kids enjoying their compound, just playing around. <laughs> ah, they're just interested about, they're just in, interested of whatever is in the compound. As you can see, they're very excited playing around, enjoying the compound. Oh, they're very excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I'm going to go through just uh, some of the slides here. We have pictures of the kids in the back as well um, that we'll have out uh, in the entryway after church. But a lot of the kids uh, came to us um, over the years. Uh, I'll stop on one of them here. There's a few siblings, Prosper and uh, Prince. So I'll stop on Rachel. Um, you'll notice a lot of these names, let me back up one, has uh, their, their family name is first and then their um, given name. And you'll notice one has one name. Uh, when she was found, her brother was caring for her. Uh, he was a mute, and before he passed away, no one knew what their last name was. So she has one name. And our staff, Isabiri on the left there, Betty, our house mother, and Samson, our new security guard. So I want to give you a couple things you may be able to do to help. Certainly prayer is number one, always, uh, to pray for not only the kids, the staff, but the community around. Um, they're beginning to become more active and involved in the community, which is largely uh, Muslim or witchcraft that is around the area. So in showing God's love, they have shared the well, some of the water. Uh, they have also started growing some of the crops, which in the communities they share. Um, but how that impact can have uh, opportunities in the community as well. Consider going on a mission trip to Uganda. Um, we are starting to plan next year's and, and may have opportunity for some people to join. 
Uh, follow us on Facebook, Hope for Uganda Children's Home on Facebook, and stay up to date on things that are going on. And also, if you're able to, there are child sponsorships available to help with their costs, uh, school costs, food, clothing, scholastic materials, and the transportation to get them back and forth, um, which is, we tried to include a, a slide and forgot it, uh, the kids that ride on the motorcycle back and forth, that is one driver and five of them on a motorcycle, so... Uh, but that transportation cost also. So if you're able to help in that way, uh, we'd, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. And we'll be in the back after church to uh, answer any questions and let you know more information. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Amber, and for your involvement uh, in the ministry there in Uganda. And uh, it's hard to imagine just uh, being thankful for running water. Uh, we have it all the time. I've been putting it on my hot water, on my poison, something that's all over my body now. But uh, we take for granted um, little things. And I remember on a mission trip to Belize, we brought some tennis balls. And those kids, you'd have thought that was a diamond. Um, so we have, we have it really good here. And we are very, very blessed. And we're very blessed to be able to support uh, ministries like the Uganda Ministry and so many others that we support here at Grace. And so thank you, Dave, and thank you, Amber, for your involvement. And you pray about how the Lord wants you to be involved. It is good to see all of you today. If you're visiting with us, we are really glad you're here. I hope that what we do today is point you to Christ. That, that's the goal of this service, is to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's it. That's the goal. Uh, at the end, toward the end of our service, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together, and that is for everyone who belongs to the Lord. I would just ask you, as the Scripture does, to examine yourself. That's what the Lord would require of us. But it's one of the blessings that we have to be able to participate together is to be able to celebrate um, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we remember His death today and what He's done for us um, can you imagine that his death on the cross uh, and what it accomplished uh, for us and that by faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else, you and I, because of God's grace, can have eternal life. And that's an amazing, amazing truth. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today too as well. So it's really good to see you. And I just wanted to share briefly with the deacons. I'd love to have a window in the sanctuary the outside. If I'm not mistaken, that wall out there goes to the outside. So if y'all could just start on that this week and um, just knock that out. Um, I miss natural light in this building. Um, you know, the old building we were at on Springville Road looked like a Pizza Hut building. And I feel like I'm in Pizza Hut right now. And of course, I'm not smelling any pizza, but there's, there's just no no natural light. So, Barry, all you say is it takes money, and so God's people will give. And who, 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 who did what? You said the idea was scrubbed? I must not have been in that meeting. Um, wow. So, anyway, y'all pray about that natural light. It'd be nice to have. Um, I'd love to see that. All right, I wanted to just sh do what? No. Well, all right. That'd, be, that'd work all right, I guess, man. Um, 
All right. I wanted to just share with you briefly, um, this morning I had an opportunity to go with Bill White to the, to the jail in Hoover. Um, what, a, what a time that was. And uh, I shared with them, because, you know, they're, they're in there, and a lot of them are in there for a good period of time. And I shared with them 1 Peter 3.15. Um, and just with the idea that they need to always be ready to give uh, uh, defense for the hope that's in them. And I said, you know, you guys have other people that are in here. And um, it's so imperative that, that we take that responsibility that the Lord gives to share with others about that hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray for Bill, too. We're praying for Uganda. Pray for uh, Bill's ministry in the prison. I was able to share with him the story this morning of how the Lord um, led me to Brian. Uh, his son, just the, actually the day before uh, he went to be with the Lord, and um, how the Lord just orchestrated all those events, and I was able to speak with Brian, and he was able to share with me what the Lord had been doing in his life since he had been in the jail, and uh, we are so thankful for those men that were a part of that ministry uh, to Brian, and uh, are thankful that he was able to share with me, and I was able to share with Bill and Debbie. On a phone call, I told the guys today, I said, I remember exactly where I was when I called them to share with them about uh, what Brian had shared with me about his faith in the Lord. And uh, he had written a letter to his parents. And um, I think if, if you haven't lost a child, then, then you may not know how that feels. And I don't know how that feels. But we love Bill and Debbie. And we are so, so thankful that um, Brian uh, turned his life to the Lord and uh, was able to share that with, with others as well. So... I just challenge you, just like I challenge those guys, always be ready. Because the Lord's going to put people in front of us. And the greatest hope that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't we uh, bow together, let's have prayer. And then the uh, praise team is going to lead us in some worship. Father, thank you so much for another day of life. It's truly a gift from you. <clears throat> Every day you give us. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for everyone who's sitting in this place. Some are new. For the first time, they're sitting in this building. Thankful for them. Thankful for the ones who've just coming, been coming for a few weeks, a few months. And then those who've been here for a long period of time. Thankful for every one of them this morning. Thankful for those that are watching this morning at home and can't be here. We're thankful for them. Uh, Lord, we, we are so thankful that we live in a day and age where when people have to be home, they can um, tune in. And, and so we're thankful for them this morning. Just pray for, for ministry to their needs and the different things that they're going through. Um, Father, I just want to pray for the ministry in Uganda. Thankful for uh, Dave and Amber for their commitment to the ministry. As we see these children and we think about just them getting water, this running water for the first time. Our minds can't help but go to the fact that you're the living water that they need, Lord. And so we just pray for those children that they would come to faith in Christ. We want to commit Bill and uh, Bill's ministry to you. The ministry uh, in the prison there in Hoover, and he goes to St. Clair County. There's other places he goes. And, and Lord, um, through uh, what was difficult in Bill and Debbie's life, you've used that to minister to so many people. How many people have come to you just through that ministry alone? So, so we're thankful. We continue to pray for Bill and Debbie. 
And Father, just uh, use them and, and their testimony with Brian as uh, to forward uh, your church, to build your church. And as we worship, Lord, today, I pray that our worship is acceptable in your sight. I pray that our hearts are ready, that we are ready to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As we think about, it's not very long because life's a vapor. We're all going to be living for eternity. The question is, where are we going to live? I plan on living with you, Lord. I'm so, so thankful that I'll be able to worship you for an eternity. So help us to just enjoy what we have today in our worship. And I pray that it pleases you. And all these things I pray in the great, wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Let's all stand worship the Lord.
Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. 
guys believe in the goodness of God this morning? Good. You know, there's times when that question is a little harder to answer, right? When we're not sure, right? Maybe we have doubts. But I'm just here to encourage you this morning, guys. You've got, you got no farther to look than the cross of Christ. Okay, to know that God is good. I mean, that's what it's about. So we're going to sing about his goodness. Can't sing that enough. 
We serve a good, good God. Even in the midst of the most trying times, He doesn't change. He's a good, good God. That's right. All the time, God is good. Why don't you take your Bibles and put your fingers in Hebrews 13, verse 17, and then I'd like for you to also have your fingers over in the book of Acts in chapter 20 and chapter 15. One of the most difficult parts of being a pastor shepherd who teaches on a weekly basis is to know how much to give you. I I don't know if you can understand that part necessarily, but um, as you know, we've been in 1 John, and 1 John will be there when we go back to it. But one of the things that I've been challenged with is to consider a little more deeply the issue of elders, and specifically what they do. It's something that, since I came to Springboro Road in 1996, and even before that, I was convinced that the Bible spoke of elders in a plurality, and the importance of them was immense in terms of the health and the protection of the body of Christ. That indeed, just as the Lord Jesus himself had challenged Peter in tending and feeding sheep, he's challenged us here at Grace to be biblical in our approach to leadership, which involves elders and deacons. If you want to just use one word, leadership. The roles and the responsibilities are different. But serving as an elder is extremely important to the spiritual health and welfare of the body. God has expectations for those that lead the church. And I believe he's very clear about those expectations. What's difficult is to embrace them for what they are. And not to take a moment off. God has not given permission for an elder to take a 10-minute break. An elder is charged with protecting and caring for and guarding the sheep all the time. That's not something that I made up. That's something that comes actually from the verbiage in the Scriptures. And while I can say to you that the last two weeks we've kind of laid a foundation for eldership, I want us to take a deeper dive in the next few weeks on what elders do here at Grace. And things that you may not know. I don't know if your mindset is they meet once or twice a month and look at each other and go, great to see you, Um, let's pray for a few people and move on. But it is much, much more than that. And you need to be aware of what God's expectations are through example by way of Scripture as it relates to the responsibility of elders. 
Um, I am certainly thankful that we are elder-led with a pastor. Um, I view those men as pastors. They're pastor shepherds. That's, that's who they are. That's what the Bible clearly delineates. I wanted to begin this morning by just taking a look, because we have the Lord's Supper today. There won't be as much time ah, as we normally take, but I wanted to break ground on what I believe to be one of the most critical issues facing the church today, and it's not a new issue, and it's an issue that elders must have their hands around. Um, otherwise, there's confusion. So you'll see when we get to it what I'm speaking of. But notice he doesn't use, the, the author of Hebrews does not use the term elders or deacons here. He uses the term leaders, which involve elders, obviously, and deacons. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And he's talking to the believers. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now notice there is no room for maneuvering in the last part of that statement. They will give an account. So you can look around this room and you can identify the elders and every elder in this room will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for their shepherding and for their guarding. Wow. So God's serious about his church and he's serious about the leadership. And myself and all of the elders will give account to the Lord Jesus and you need to know that. He says, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. We talked a little bit about that, that it's grievous when the shepherds are having to go after the sheep who are in sin. That's a grievous task. Nonetheless, it is a task. In the context, you leave the 99 and you go get the one who is a sheep, who is wandering away from the fold. Now you have within churches a viewpoint that it's not any of the business of elders or deacons that they be involved in my personal life. You do have those churches that are like that. You know how I know? Because when it comes to divorce, they don't deal with the subject. It's too controversial. When was the last time you heard a pastor do a series on 1 Corinthians 7 and God's thoughts on marriage... When was the last time? In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine probably 15 years ago. He said, Dad, when's the last time you did a series on marriage? I said, well, I've done a couple. He said, when have you tackled what Paul said in 1 Corinthians about marriage? It's been a while. So I admit to you, it's one of those subjects that's difficult to deal with, but nonetheless, you must deal with it. Because we'll give account an account for not dealing with it. So you have churches that will not go after the sheep who are wondering. That is not grace. If you're wandering away from the fold, 
were going to come with the love of the Lord into your life. You can rest assured that's going to happen. The elders could testify to you that we've had to do that in the past. And you know, there's been times of restoration for one who has been wayward. And that's always wonderful to see. But there have been times when sheep stray and they leave and they're gone. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard because you're involved in that. Because you know the process of church discipline as it relates to Matthew 18. You understand that there's a process there. That if a person is wayward, you go to your brother. And if he listens, you've won your brother. But if they don't, you take two or three witnesses. Hoping they'll do what? Turn from whatever it is they're doing that's sinful. If they don't listen, what do you do? You tell it to the church. And you've been involved in that. Um, And then it says you treat them like a Gentile if they don't repent. So there are times when it's uncomfortable to be a member of the body, maybe even here at Grace. I acknowledge that. I understand that. But I can tell you that we are committed here to the process of going after those sheep who are wayward. Those are tough things. So he says at the end, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So you know what we need to be praying for each other? That we would walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You pray for us, we pray for you. Because what does the enemy want to do in the church? Destroy it, divide it. Sin divides. So I would just encourage you to think about those couple of things. Now, from this particular statement, the first one, there's three things that you need to know. Uh, I think you need to know anyway. The Greek is emphatic, for it is they that watch on behalf of your souls as having to give account. They watch over you. That's the responsibility of elders. The elders here at Grace watch over you. We're going to talk about how they do that in a minute. Keeping watch literally means to go sleepless. You ever been sleepless? Right? You're just like, I'm going to tell you right now. In the ministry, since 1991, I've not punched a clock. Never have. I am thankful for that. Can I tell you that? I'd probably get written up at times. I don't punch a clock, but you know what I do? There are many nights when Thad Blunt is sleepless. There are many nights when I wake up and the Lord wakes me up with you in mind. Happened two nights ago. I'm sleeping really good. It's 3.30 in the morning. Boom. Wide awake. Wide awake. You could have come. We could have fellowship together. Began to pray for some of my brothers and my sisters that the Lord put on my mind that are struggling right now in this body. I have the belief that if an elder is submissive to the Lord, he wakes up praying for the sheep. Can't get them off your mind. It just doesn't happen. So I'm committed to that process, me personally. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do in relationship to you. If I need to come see you, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to come see you. You can take it to the bank. 
If something's going on that I think is destructive for your life, I'm coming to see you. But the elders have that same commitment. We love you. We love you. I don't know what other pastors tell their congregations. I don't, I don't go to church other than here. I don't know what they do. But I can tell you here that the elders of grace love you. And we're committed to shepherding you. And however that looks. So when you're hurting, please know that we hurt with you. Third thing from that particular statement. Leaders are to consistently and intently guard themselves and the other sheep from danger. Now I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 20. Because we're going to begin to discuss what does watching over souls involve here at Grace. The first thing that we're going to discuss is this principle that elders at Grace have an ongoing responsibility to protect the truth. Do you understand that? It's not an option. It's not like one month we go, well, this is the flavor for this month. Yeah, but the world's saying this, so... Maybe we ought to retract what we believe. No, 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 no. As elders, the guide for us is the word of God. What's already been written. I was so frustrated this morning driving here about, I guess it was 6.30 or so when I left the house. And I'm driving and I turn it on a Christian radio station. And he says, he's talking to his congregation and he says... We are just waiting for new revelation from the Lord. And I'm like, dude, what are you waiting on? What are you talking about? And he began to talk. We have the scriptures, but we want new revelation. Do we really? Or do we have the revelation already given to us through these 66 books we already have it. Do you know one of the things I found out practically in my Christian life? I have plenty to learn until Christ comes. I'm a student like you're a student. Oh, I thought you knew. I don't know it all. I have much to learn. I take classes at Grace School of Theology. And I, every once in a while I'm like, you know, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Or I've never thought about that. We're always learning. We have God's revelation to us. So one of the things you need to know right from the get-go is that the elders here at Grace are going to protect the truth. We're going to guard the truth. And I want you to see from Acts 20 how committed Paul was to this particular issue of guarding the truth. Start feeling around for my glasses. They're in my pocket. That's when you know you're getting old, right? Acts 20. Look at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him who? Elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you excuse me, the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. 
That's what you should expect from your shepherds. We're going to give you the truth. Now, you may not always be prepared to hear it. Is that fair to say? But we're going to give you what God says. Have you ever thought about how you enter in a service on a Sunday? Prepared to hear it, right? That's what we should be. Many times that's a challenge for all of us. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God. That simply means a turning toward. That's what the word means. Okay? A turning toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Don't you love the faith of Paul? He just trusts in the Lord. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Yeehaw. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I mean, you're going to get news. Here it is. This is what awaits you. You just have to love the determination of Paul as he's walking through this life that the Lord had for him. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account, he says, as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of what? Grace of God. Finish my course. Can I just pause there? Just a brief commercial. Don't you want, and shouldn't I want, at the end of my life to be able to say, I finished the course, Lord. I did it. There were bumps along the way. We're human, but I finished the course. Right? Yeah, we want to be able to say that. And you know what we should be doing? Encouraging each other in that. He says, verse 25, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day. What a statement. I am innocent of the blood of all men. You know what Paul's saying here? I've declared to you everything. I've given you the whole counsel of God. I've given it all to you. What a travesty that there are pastors and teachers not willing in our culture to give the whole counsel of God. For, a, for, for just the simple fact that I don't want to offend someone. Well, last time I read my Bible, in 1 Corinthians, the gospel is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. So you're going to have to sit across from someone and confront them about the issue of sin. And the good news is that the Lord Jesus took care of that issue. That's the good news. He took care of that problem. Well, so he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you, elders, the whole purpose or counsel of God. Verse 28. Here's some warning. All right? So Paul has these Ephesian elders at Miletus, and he's in their grill, so to speak. He's pulled their face mask toward him. He's like, hey, I mean, this is serious stuff. This is like a coach on a football field taking the face mask of that player and saying, listen to me. You remember when that used to happen? I don't know that that happens much anymore. 
But back in the day, your coaches would get in your grill in your personal space and they wouldn't go, gee, I'm really sorry about this. I'm having to do this. No. You know what they did? They went, grabbed your face mask and pulled you to them. Pay attention to me. And they didn't typically say, pay attention to me. They typically reamed you out and said, this is what you're not doing and this is what you need to do. Well, I get the picture here. Remember Paul, I mean, he's, he's coming to the end, right? And, and he knows that he's not going to see these guys. And he's, this is an emergency meeting. And he's pulled their face mask and he's saying to them, listen to this, be on guard, elders, for yourself and for all the flock. So where does he start? Be on guard for who? Yourselves. You say, well, there's never dissension in the monk's leadership. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I know of an illustration of a pastor. I have a book. It's like 1,500 illustrations or whatever. And in the, and in the book, he's writing about his congregation and he's sharing with them his leadership. I want you men to know that I love you and I'm committed to the truth. Fifteen to twenty of them responded with, basically, we don't love you and we don't like what you're committed to. You say, that never happens. It happens. Leadership in the church has to be on the same page. If leadership of the church is not on the same page, what's going to happen with the sheep? There's going to be division. And the next thing you know, you've got this group over here and this group here and this group here. Well, I'm following Peter. No, I'm following Paul. No, I'm following Apollos. Oh, imagine that. That's in the Bible. That's what happened, right? Schism among leadership. I believe schism among leadership happens when the leaders trump the truth. When what they say trump, trumps what already has been said. Does that make sense? In other words, what I think is more important than what God's already said. Do you really want leaders like that? I don't think so. So we know there was schism in the church in Corinth. And listen to me. Satan is really good at deception. And it does not take but one small thing, and the next thing you know, you got a forest fire. It's out of control. You say, well, that, we don't want that to happen. You're right, we don't want that to happen. So what's your responsibility as a congregation? To pray for your leadership. You pray for the elders. Lord, keep them together, surrounded in your word. And when we get to the specific issue that we're guarding, you're going to know... It's a huge thing today, even in evangelical circles. All right, verse 29, let me read this. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Notice this, so they're not just guarding themselves, they're guarding the flock among which the Holy Spirit, not absent of the Spirit leading, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So what's Paul acknowledging? The work of the Spirit in the lives of these men. That's what he's saying. To shepherd the church of God, here's the weight of this, which he purchased 
with his own blood. So he says, be on guard for yourselves, for the flock. And then he tells them in verse 29 why. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, you think, okay, well, that's from the outside. Yeah, that, that happens. And it does happen. False teaching can easily work its way into the church. Easily. There was a professor that I had in college, and any time you would ask him a question, he would start with this, the Bible says. Pretty good place to start. Really good place to start. The Bible says, and if we don't know, which we don't know everything, we need to say, I'm not sure. Let's look and see what the Bible says. What does it say about the Bereans? What were they? They were private investigators. I love, I love private investigation shows. I just love those. My kids, my boys, decide, Dad, do you watch anything that wasn't back in the 1970s? Not much. I like Rockford Files. The Bereans, listen, some of you guys don't even know what that is. Look it up. That's not quite the response I was thinking. Was, not enough, man. This Rockford's good show. But when you think about what believers are to be as it relates to the Scriptures, we are investigators. What has God said? What's he already said that we need to understand? So he says, outside, he says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. But look at verse 30. And from among your own selves, men will arise. That's one thing to say, they're coming from the outside, we expect it. It's another thing to say, from among your own selves, men will arise. And it says, Paul says, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples, notice this, after them. False teaching has a tendency to revolve around man. Are you listening to me? Man. It's that person, it's their knowledge, it's their wisdom, it's their understanding. That's why when you teach and preach the Word of God, you're not putting in your philosophy of life, but you're drawing out exegesis. What does the text say? What did it mean to the original audience? And what does it mean for my life now? Now, if you're in a class where, where you're going, well, I think this means this to me, and this means this to me. My first Bible study in New York State was like that. Pastor Stam gave me, in all his love, this group of people, about 10 to 12 of them, new believers. You know what we studied? John. And I would bring handouts, and I would give the handouts to them, and I would work through the passage, and, and we would talk about the passage, and I would talk about context, and I would talk about context, and then I would talk about context. And then I would say to them, Let's look at the historical perspective on this. And I remember one lady said, why do we have to look at the... When, 
please? Just please. So we looked at the historical context. Who was the book written to originally? And then we would go through, and then we would make correlation and application, and we would finally get to the application, which all of them wanted to start with. Because it would generally go like this. In the beginning, because I was new and I was really young, I was 26 years old, and I was scared to death. And um, they would say, Dad, I want, let me tell you what I think this means to me. And I'd be like, oh boy. I heard about you guys in class one time. And so they would say, this is what this means to me. And I'd be like, oh, my shoulders would be, I'd get tense. And I'd be like, well, what if we thought about it like this in context? And I'd try to graciously bring it around. But do you know, there are Bible studies that take place a lot of times in churches where there's just a focus strictly on application and there's no context. That's a dangerous thing. Okay? Just being honest with you. Because I like to talk just like the next person. You know, I go, well, yeah, God loves me. Well, God does love me. But in the context, what's he talking about in relationship to his love? In the context, what's he talking about in relationship to the church? What's he talking about in relationship to the family? Not just, well, I'm going to pull this verse out and this verse out. But it's, Lord, what did you do through the Apostle Paul here? You know what he did? He got the Apostle Paul together, those Ephesian elders of Miletus, and he pulled them by their helmets, and he said, listen up. You know what I'd like to do to the church today? Pull every member of the church by their helmet and say, listen up. We are living in dangerous times, especially as it relates to what we're about to introduce. I cannot believe it is already 1132. All right, then one more thing here. Notice what it says. And from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. It is that 911. Hey, be on the alert. The sirens are going off. Do you believe everyone is committed to the truth? Please don't believe that. There are many people out there who are committed to just the opposite, to what is false. There are many people out there that are hoping to stomp out the light. Have you watched the news? Do you know the world believes that true biblical Christians are fanatical we're radical, we're weird, something's wrong with these people. To which my reply is, that's right, something's wrong with me. You know what's wrong with me? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's right with me. I believe in what he did for me on the cross at Calvary. I believe in what his word tells me. So then he says, verse 32, And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Closes here. There's a time of prayer that he has with them. So you get the, the, the intensity of, of what Paul's doing here. And I believe that you and I need to have that same intensity about protecting the truth today. And specifically, this morning, as we come to it, I want to illustrate just briefly. When Paul writes to Timothy... 
he talks to him about the importance of holding on to that which is true. He begins uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, protect through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The treasure, what's the treasure? The gospel which has been entrusted to you. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chattering, opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So twice in these two letters, he says, guard what has been entrusted to you. The expectation of the Lord for the elders at grace is that we would guard the truth. Well, I want to present to you an illustration of something that the elders here at Grace guard, and that is the gospel. Now listen to me. There are many gospels out there. There are many gospels out there that appear to be true. Are you listening to me? But there's extra language. So we have to determine, based on Scripture, what does the Bible tell us about the gospel? Not, well, what do you think? And what do you think? But what has God already said about the gospel? So with that subject in mind, give me five more minutes. There's no way we can be done today unless you brought a sack lunch. And I'm willing to stay till 1 or 2 o'clock, but you might not be. Um... I haven't eaten since last night about 7.30, though, so I'm kind of hungry. All right, here's the illustration. What do you think about that statement? We believe that salvation is the gift of grace by the work of the Holy Spirit, freely bestowed upon all who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ apart from human notorious works. What do you think? Is that true? Is that the gospel? That's in our Constitution. Because we believe the gospel is grace. That salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing. So you can't add to grace. Once you start adding terminology to grace and faith, you're in trouble. It no longer becomes grace. What does grace mean? God's unmerited favor. Do we deserve grace? No. Can we work for that? Something we can do? You know what? One of the major problems in the church today is man just cannot wrap himself around the fact that God did it all. I don't know why. But it seems to be that man's like, no, it's got to be more than just belief. There's got to be more to it. I've got to do something. Well, what does the Bible say? 
If you just took one verse in the context where Paul is talking about the condition of man in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, for by grace are you saved through Anything else? That, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of... Anything in addition to grace is a problem. Just being honest. Grace and faith. But you hear in the church, even in evangelical circles, more terminology than just grace and faith. And you know what you hear? Well, we got to do this. And we got to do that. Do you know in the early church, they had a problem after the first missionary journey? I'm going to introduce it to you today. But I want to give you a quote first by S. Lewis Johnson. Any of you heard of S. Lewis Johnson? Fantastic. Fantastic theologian from Dallas Seminary. He wrote this back in the 1960s. <laughs> so when I read it, I was like, dude, that's been a couple of minutes ago. I was born in the 1960s. Any of you born in the 1960s? Hallelujah. It's 2022. Whoa, wow. Look what S. Lewis Johnson wrote. The most serious issue facing the church is the debate surrounding the gospel. In the mid-60s. While the debate is not a new one, increasingly there seems to be more misunderstanding than clarity. I want to read just a couple of verses. You don't need to turn there, but this sets us up for next week. In Acts 15, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, we come to the context of Acts 15... And there's the council at Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council. Why did this even go on, right? Everything's trucking along just fine. Paul and Barnabas are out in their missionary journey, and people are getting saved. And, and it's wonderful, right? It's wonderful when people are getting saved. But did you know that some of the Gentile souls were being disturbed? Now, you remember what it said in Hebrews, that we are to watch over who? The souls. So in watching over your soul as an elder, we don't want you to be disturbed about your faith. Are you listening to me? We don't want you to be disturbed about a false gospel. About adding to the gospel of grace. Anything. We want you to be confident because the Bible tells us that once we are saved, guess what? We're His. Okay? Well... If you're hearing there are other things I must do in order to be saved, that's going to agitate you, correct? It's going to, especially new believers. So it says, as this letter was composed and sent to these Gentiles, these believing Gentiles, verse 24 of Acts, in the context of the letter, it says, Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you. They agitated you. 
with their words, unsettling your souls. You ever met with somebody who's doubted their salvation? Unsettling of the soul. Is it not? You know what you find many times? And I don't mean this critical, but you find them and their eyes are set in the wrong space. They're still thinking about there must be something I must do. It's more than just believing. Well, that's what was going on with these Gentiles. And it says in Acts chapter 15 that believing Pharisees, believing Pharisees, you get that? Believing. I'm going to say it again. Believing Pharisees. We're going to look at that next week. Believing Pharisees were wanting to add to the gospel of grace. And what did Peter do? And the other apostles. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. No, 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 no. You know what they did? Not only did they gather together, but the Bible is going to tell us, and we're going to see next week, the elders were a part of that. Why? Because of... It is of utmost importance. Are you sitting here today confident in Christ? Not in yourself, but confident in Christ that he saved you? That by grace he saved you through faith in you trusting in his son and what he did on the cross. You're trusting and believing that he paid for your sins. But for so many people, I know, I, I know where they're at. I know where they sit. I know what they're listening to. And for so many people, there's an addition to the gospel of grace. And I want to tell you what, of all the things that trouble me, it troubles me the most. Because people are putting faith and trust in themselves. Listen to me, we come to the table today to do what? To look back and to celebrate what Christ did for us in spreading out his arms and in dying for our sins. Right? And we're thankful for the sacrifice. We're thankful for his willingness to shed his own blood. You know, people call um, the grace gospel a cheap gospel. I've heard that. It just irritates me to no end. Cheap? Cheap? It cost God his what? Own son. Cheap? There's nothing cheap about believing in what Jesus did For you and for me. So I want you to know before you walk out of here today, one practical thing, there's going to be many that we're going to look at. One practical thing the elders here do, we guard the gospel of grace. And you can depend on that, and we're going to continue to do that. And you might get tired of hearing it, but oh well. We're going to continue to land on grace because that's what the Bible says. Next week, I want you to come prepared. I did not know this introduction, more than an introduction, would take this long. But I want you to come prepared as we look at what they were grappling with in the early church. And remember, guys, listen, this issue's not a new issue. It's, hey, when you have man involved, what happens? Man can really mess things up, right? The Lord came here on his own to pay for the sins of man. The Bible says he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in this and this and this, no, whoever believes. See, because 
at the end of belief, people say, oh, this is where easy believism comes in. Oh, they're just believing in Jesus. No, 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 no. The demons believe. What are you believing in Jesus for? Right? That's the issue. I'm believing in the fact that Jesus died for my sins. Because I can't pay for my own, and you can't either. It's not going to suffice. There's only one atonement that was satisfactory, and that's the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's it. So, listen, I look at the cross, and I say, Lord, I believe that you paid for my sins. Trust in you. That's it. People, that's too easy. Really, it's not easy. It's not easy. If it was easy, we'd have a lot more saved people. You know what's hard about the gospel? Man wants to believe that he's just good enough. Listen, when's the last time you heard somebody say, well, yeah, I'm hoping that when I see the man upstairs, I'm going to have done just enough. I mean, you hear that all the time. Aren't you glad that we're not having to count what's good enough? Because our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Listen to me, at salvation, something happens that's so wonderful, you can't even imagine it. I can't even imagine it. But when I am saved, the righteousness of Christ covers me. So that when God sees Thad Blunt, he sees his son. That's what it's about. Well, I could keep you all day. I want us to pray. We're going to have the deacons come up. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to ask the deacons if they'd come up. I have asked you guys last week, not personally, but I asked the deacons. You guys can come up now. Okay? You guys can come up to the table. And we want to have a time around the Lord's Supper today in remembering what the Lord Jesus did for us. I want to give you uh, two or three minutes to have with the Lord just to pray and just to make sure that, you know, there's been that confession. Isn't it nice as we go along, as we're walking our trail, that as we confess, there's just forgiveness, right? There's that fellowship restored that we need. So I want to encourage you to just spend a moment or two in prayer. If you're visiting with us today, you're like, hey, I'm a believer and I want to participate, wonderful. <laughs> we want you to, right? Um, we don't have closed communion here at Grace. We open it up to all who belong to Christ. We only ask that uh, you examine yourself just like the Bible tells all of us to do. And so we're going to take an opportunity to do that right now. And then we're going to have uh, a time of celebration together as we remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So you bow your heads and, and um, then we'll pray. All right? Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who took on flesh and came to this earth, who lived a perfect life, 
who became, as John wrote, the satisfaction for our sins. And not only for our sins, but John writes for the sins of the whole world. Some of us in this room know without a doubt we have eternal life, and that eternal life is in the Lord Jesus. And we're, so we're thankful for the death of our Savior. We acknowledge that without the shedding of blood, as the Word says, there's no remission of sin. So we're thankful for the perfect sacrifice for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no way to thank you enough. But Father, today we can celebrate that while he died for our sins according to the scriptures, the Bible says he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We serve a risen Savior. What a blessing that is. As we partake today of the bread... Father, I pray that we would remember the sacrifice of your son, that his body, I mean, it was beaten and bruised, as Isaiah said, for our iniquities. Thank you, Father, for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we partake of the bread today, may we celebrate the accomplishment of the cross. And all this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
you keep playing that, I'm going to be singing, Great is thy faithfulness. And he is faithful, isn't he? A faithful God. As we take the bread this morning, remember the body of our Lord Jesus. Andy, would you pray for the cup for us today? Heavenly Father, we just give thanks to you today for the sacrifice that you made. We appreciate the blood that you shed to cover our sins. And this we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Y'all recognize that one too? I'm an old guy. I can remember those songs. 
Love singing those hymns. You know one we don't sing a bunch? I love it. Old Rugged Cross. They have some people that can really, really sing that. I wouldn't be one of those. We are so thankful for the Old Rugged Cross. We are thankful for the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's take it together. I'm going to have a prayer, and then the praise team is going to come and lead us in a song. And I've got an announcement to make afterwards, so if you'll just be patient, I'd really appreciate it. All right? Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. Lord, it's going to be so nice when we're in heaven. We're not going to be looking at the clock. Thank you, Lord, that we can look forward to an eternity with you. And as your word says, face to face in all your glory. May your name be praised. 